0: Pretty cool, wasn't it? I love it when the kids get involved. So we're all kids, right? And God is teaching us to pray. And that's what this series has been about, the Lord's Prayer. Not just a prayer that we recite, you know, like just go through it really quickly and the words just flow through and we're not even thinking. Instead, though, it's an outline for our faith, as we will see. As we have seen over the past few weeks, God wants us to speak to him. And so as we begin today, let's just ask him to teach us to pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for these past few weeks as you've taught us to pray Jesus' prayer. And we pray today that Jesus' prayer would become our prayer, that we would see the fullness of what you're trying to do in that prayer, what you want us to learn, what you want to do for us, and what you want to do through us, and Lord, most of all, that that we would, we would know that we can trust you, that, that you are a good Father, and, and that we can trust you to do good in our lives. Father, be with us today as we study this last phrase and help us to trust you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So this prayer has been about, or this series has been about the Lord's Prayer. It's been about the idea that we would pray more. So I hope you've been praying more over uh, the last few weeks spending some more time in prayer, and, and, and the question is, like, what have you been praying about? I mean, what's on your prayer list? You know, and there, there are things that, that sort of uh, come, go on to prayer list, and then they go off a of prayer list, and, and yet there are some things that we just keep praying for and praying for and waiting for and waiting for, and the question today is, can we trust God even in those moments? Can, can we really? I mean, do you trust God? to do good in your life? You know, when, when you look at the Lord's Prayer and, and as we've gone through it, we first learned we first learned that God is a God that wants us to speak with Him. He's our Father, He's close. Heaven is not far away in and, and the Hebrew thought. It's close and, and God is close and Jesus said He would never leave us. And, and the Spirit has come to live inside of us so we know God is close and He wants to hear our concerns. He wants to know what's on our prayer list. And he wants us to know that he is a father who cares about everything that is on each and every one of our lists. And you know, the the idea that his kingdom would come is a prayer for a lot of us, that that his kingdom would come to people that we know who don't know Jesus, maybe a family member, maybe a son, maybe a daughter, or a spouse who doesn't know Jesus. We pray for God's kingdom to come. Maybe even in your own life when you've had doubt, you've said, God, I need to know you more. Your kingdom needs to come into my heart. I need, it needs to be more real. Or, or maybe, maybe you prayed for provision because the Lord's Prayer says we can do that. Give us this day our daily bread. It's important, and especially in today's world, because you hear this word at work, you know, restructuring. You know, everybody knows what that means, right? It means some people are going to lose their jobs, and, and you're praying, they're like, well, will I make it, Lord? Will I survive? Will I make the cut this time? Will I have what I need? Can I provide for my family? And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Or maybe, maybe we're carrying around this guilt. You know, we've done something wrong. We, we've messed up again. And we're saying, Father, I need to experience the relief. Lift this burden off my shoulders. Allow me to experience your forgiveness. And it's not just what God is going to do for us here. He then wants wants to do something through us as we extend that forgiveness to others, as we often have to do as we pray for reconciliation between people. Because there's brokenness and sin that divides us. Or maybe, maybe it's just evil. And maybe you're facing evil. Maybe there's illness in your family. Or maybe even you've been given a diagnosis. It's difficult. Or maybe you're just struggling with temptation. You just can't seem to manage. And God says, tell me. Let me lead you away from that. Let me strengthen and empower you to do that. And you pray. You see, the the Lord's Prayer isn't just a a, a rote prayer that we say in worship and just kind of let that float through our minds and not think of it. It's an outline for the Christian faith. It contains the majority of our prayers. You can can look at the Lord's Prayer and you'll see them. You'll see that God wants to hear the details of our lives. He wants us to trust Him in those details. This last phrase, once we read it together, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So what does that mean? Amen means, may it be so in our lives. It's like this doxology, right? It's, it's the end of the prayer. And we want to spend a few minutes talking about this end of the prayer because it has great meaning as we look at trusting God in prayer. I remember uh, attending once a uh, Catholic funeral, and I didn't really... Uh, Didn't really understand much of the liturgy or anything, but they got to the Lord's Prayer. And when they got to the Lord's Prayer, you know, I was like, okay, I've got this one down. And I go, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Oh, you guys have been there, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I was doing a prayer solo in that funeral, you know? Here I was. And and all of them looked around at me, and they're going, oh, there's a Protestant right there, you know? (laughs) Because they don't say this end of the prayer. And so there is this little bit of a controversy about this phrase, whether or not it's included in the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to review some things with you, because you won't find it, actually, in the Matthew version that we've been studying. Did you know that? Go look at Matthew 6.13. You won't find this. You might find it in the footnotes in Matthew 6.13. Why is that? Who rewrote my Bible? You go to the King James Version, you might see it, but you won't see it in most Bibles today. And why is that? So let's just start there for a minute. You know, our understanding of Scripture comes from the Greek manuscripts. There are 5,300 Greek manuscripts that we study to get the essence to find what the New Testament actually says. And 98% of those uh, those manuscripts that look like that, which, well, it looks like Greek to me. they, 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 they contain the phrase. They say, For thine is the kingdom, of power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. And and 98%. But the oldest ones, the ones we've recently discovered that are, that are the earliest in Christianity, don't include it. So why is that? And should that be a concern for us as Christians? I mean, should we not say those words? Well, first of all, recognize that the reality of this is that the ideas in that doxology, and that's what we call it, For thine is the kingdom, of power, glory forever and ever. That's a doxology. It's praise words. Those are already contained in the first two lines of the prayer. So, so we, we're really just repeating it. And, and the second thing is that a, that a Hebrew or an Israelite, when they said a prayer, they would always include a doxology. So we have, we have some good precedent there. We know that that was part of their prayers. But probably one of the most uh, interesting pieces is that there's an early instruction manual from the first century for Christians. And it contains, it's like our catechism, and it contains the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Didache. And the Didache contains that prayer with the phrase, with the doxology included. So we know that this has always been associated with it. And people argue about this stuff, and they get pretty crazy about it. But the reality is, it's part of the prayer. And it should be a part of the prayer. More than likely, it wasn't in those early manuscripts simply because it was assumed that people would say a doxology, some praise words as they closed the prayer. But what does it mean? And So we have to dive deep. We have to look deeply into Scripture, and we can really understand some of the meaning of this doxology. And to do that, let's look at this guy, King David. And King David, of course, had a kingdom, right? He had the kingdom of Israel, and he had it at the time where it was the most prosperous and powerful of all the kings, he had the kingdom, and he, got, uh, he had a lot of the power, and he had the glory for that kingdom. And he still gets it today as Israelites look at their history. They always look back to King David. But the one thing King David was, did not accomplish during his life that he wanted, he thought was a good plan, was to build a temple. You know, they had the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, but they didn't have a temple. They didn't have a structure and so he thought that was, the, that was his plan. He thought that was a good idea to build a temple. And so, so he had a kickoff ceremony, a worship service, and he gathered all these people and he gave, he gave his gold and his silver and his bronze and he put it all out there and people responded and they collected all these resources and it's like, oh, wow, the temple will be built. Look at his doxology, his prayer after this all happens. This is what he says. He says, blessed... Are you O Lord the God of Israel our father forever and ever Yours O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours Yours is the kingdom O Lord and you are exalted as head above all You see it Yours is the kingdom the power the glory forever and ever. Those kind of words, those praise words, were often connected with prayer. And David, in this moment, when he's giving this offering and kicking off this big idea of building a temple, he uses a prayer very similar to what is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. But look what he says at the end. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great And gives strength to all. So here's David. He gives an offering. He has a plan. He has a thought about what he thinks should happen. But then he says, no, it's in your hands, Lord. Here's the offering. It's in your hands. You take it. You build something better. And that's what a doxology does. Those praise words says, you know what? I'm going to offer a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer I'm going to make it an offering to God, and then I'm going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to do something better, to build something better. It's not what I want. It's what you want. It's for your kingdom, for your glory. It's your power in your hands, and I trust you. That's what this doxology is all about, because we pray for all the things, and God wants us to pray in accordance to all his promises in Scripture. He wants us to pray for all the things that we need. But yet then we have to get to the end of this prayer and we say, Lord, I trust you. Build something better. Because only you can do, only you can do what is absolutely best. Only you can do things I can't think of. Only you can do immeasurably more than I can think or even imagine in this circumstances. And so we we say, you know, the power is in God's hands. And we place our prayer in God's hands and we say, you have the power. It's yours. Build something better. You know, when uh, we look at this idea, it's difficult for us. Because we want our plan. And we think it's on our power to do these things. And we have a hard time letting go and putting it into God's hands, don't we? Because we think, well, you know, Lord, you should want this for me. And we have our plans and we, we lay it out and say, bless them, Lord, bless them. And yet God is saying, well, you have to understand I'm God and you are not. And it's this, it's this, it's this act of submission and trust That's so countercultural in today's world that we would just say, God, I'm going to trust you to build something better. I'm going to place myself in your hands, my life in your hands, and I'm going to trust you. When I was a a younger dad, and I had a a, a younger daughter named Emily, uh, I would do this to her. Any dads love to do that to their kids? Throw them up in the air? A few of you, okay, yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? Any moms freaking out when that happens? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And when I first started doing it with Emily, you know, I'd just kind of a little bit, you know, just toss her up. And she'd go, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. And so, you know, she'd do it once, twice, and then she'd come back down, she'd smile at me and look at me and go, Higher, Daddy, higher. (laughs) And so I'd throw her up higher and higher. And she learned to trust me. And, you know, just think about her perspective and as she soar up in the air like that, you know, her perspective on earth, her, the freedom of earth and the freedom that she'd experience and the, and the weightlessness that she had in those moments. You can't, you can't experience that unless you trust your daddy. You have to trust your dad who wants to set you free to give you freedom To live life as he has designed. To give you a new perspective on this earth. But one that's not caught up in everything that's around you. In your own kingdom. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you a new perspective. He wants to remove the weights that hold you down. The weights of your expectations. And the, and the troubles and difficulties and challenges. He wants to work for good. And we know that. We know that because Romans 8, 28 tells us that, right? It says, look, we know that in all things, God works for the good. Is that what that verse says? Is that the whole verse? No, it's not. Okay, but a lot of people say, look, God is always working for my good, and it's very much around their plans. And yet, the verse actually says this. It says he works for good for those who love Him, and are called according to His purposes. So every promise in Scripture has a premise, and the premise of this passage is that there's a love for God and a, a desire to be serving God's purpose. This love from God comes from, you can write these verses down, we won't spend much time in them if you want to go study them out. 1 John four nineteen. we love because God first loved us. That's the source of love. We love because He first loved us. And so we have that love, but what does it mean to love God? John 14, 15 says this clearly. It says, look, if we're going to love God, we're going to be obedient to his commands and his plan and his promises and the premises behind them. We're going to live those things out. We're going to actively pursue them. And that changes what happens. It changes our experience of life as we glorify God. The, the purpose of life, according to Isaiah 43, 7, is to glorify God. God, that's what, that's what we're here for, to glorify Him with our life, to reflect who He is to the world. We're made in His image, but that image has been dulled by sin, but we're, we're to follow those instructions so that people can see God in us and, and they might come to a knowledge, and sa- a saving knowledge of Jesus. The amazing thing is that, you know, if you look at this promise, the good that God has done that we know for, is real and forever and ever is that one day although we are, our bodies will be sown into the ground in weakness, according to this Corinthians passage, they'll be raised in power. While they might be sown in dishonor, in other words, we're sinful people, they're going to be raised in glory. And that's the good that God is talking about. That's the good that we have to talk about. That's the good that we should focus on first. And this passage you look at it you can see it because there's a lot of trouble and hardship that's a part of this passage look at the paul writes this he says what who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword will those things do that in other words those things can happen that's part of the all things that god would use those things for good even in our lives you see, we know because we have a different perspective on the world that even when those things happen, right? Even when those things happen, we've been set free. Romans 8 continues and says this, is knowing all these things, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We've conquered this. We know this, that we will be raised in power and glory someday that we get to go to heaven and spend eternity forever and ever with God. And he he says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels, demons, nor the present or future, nor powers, nor height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of that can separate us. But it doesn't mean that it won't happen. We will experience it. But he's saying we're more than conquerors because of the good that God has already done on the cross through His Son Jesus Christ. And yet what we want to do often is build our own little kingdoms, don't we? I mean, we have this like expected end, you know, that we're thinking in our minds. We've got this image, this vision in our heads about where our life goes from here, don't we? All of us do. We plan. We plan out for retirement or career success or health or whatever it is. We have this picture of what life is going to be like. It's our vision of the kingdom, our kingdom. And we pray our kingdom will come. This little, it's like a little cardboard kingdom, though, because it doesn't take much for it to get crushed. And we pray in this doxology, we say, for yours is the kingdom. We're saying, Lord, adjust my eyes. Take my focus off what I think is important. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan for the future, but Lord, keep my eyes on something bigger than my own expected end. Help me to see what you have for me, Lord. And we all do this with our kingdom. I mean, you know, like when you get ready to go to work, right? And you're headed out in traffic. You want your kingdom to come. You want every light to be green, right? Come on, you guys pray for that, don't you? Especially when you're late, right? You get to work and you want your kingdom to come. You know, you, you like, everybody agree with me now. Come on. You come home from work and, and, and you, you know, you're, you want your dinner on the table hot, right? Sit down and enjoy your dinner and your favorite beverage and then you get the remote control for the evening. Your kingdom to come. See, we all want the universe, the world, to bend towards us. We have to realize that God has a bigger plan in mind. It's his kingdom that we pray for, not our kingdom. And that kingdom is one of submission and trust on our part to become more like Jesus, which means he gave his life sacrificially for us. And we end up saying, you know, God, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. That's what we want. And, and we want it because we know you have the power. Well, you have the power to make it happen. And not only do you, do you, are you arranging all things, and your kingdom is, co- is coming to this world and has come through Christ and will come again. Not only that, but here's what's going to happen my heart is going to change as well. Because the kingdom is about, not words, but it's about power to change our lives, power to change our future, power to be with God forever and ever. Amen. And yet, we wonder about God's power, don't we? We question it at times. Can God really rescue me when I'm hanging on by fingernails? Can he really rescue me? You ever feel like this, where life has just overwhelmed you? You ever doubted God's power? I have. And we want, you know, like God, he's like, okay, God, come along and and like lift me up off of that cliff and set me back up on the mountaintop, right? That's what we want. Because we have a vision in our minds for our kingdom. This is what we want. God said, that's not the way it works. Let go. Even when you're hanging like that, let go. See if I don't catch you. See if you're not in my hands. This is what you want to do. And you experience his power in that way. You know he is there. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be there for you. Yours is the power. God has the power to do that, to change us, to change us, to change the world. And he is in that process. And we know it will happen. We must be confident of that. And we give him the glory for what he's done. We don't give ourselves the glory for all the great things we have done. It's easy to, you know, like, oh, look what I've done. I got this, I got this, I got this, I made this achievement. I had this. It's, not, it's not us that should get the glory. It's God who is doing this magnificent job of reconstructing, rebringing the kingdom, the original plan that he had for all people, back into being. The kingdom is and has and will come. How many of you guys uh, got to watch the Super Bowl last week? Right, good game? Enjoyed it? Your team win, didn't care, right? The Bears weren't in it, right? I love watching it because of the way some of the players reacted. You know, it was uh, was interesting. I was talking to uh, Pastor Mark about uh, the Super Bowl this week, and he said over at Kimberly Way, they sang last Sunday, they sang the song on Eagles' wings. (laughs) Go figure. They got Eagles fans over there? What's going on? And then he said, you know what? I got a great idea, though. So we're, next football season, we're going to sing Bear Ye One Another's Burdens at Every <laughs> Worship Service. True story. But you did like, if you have watched the game, you did like the reaction of some of those players. Watch this. I can only give uh, the praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me this opportunity. I mean, glory to God, first and foremost. We wouldn't be here without Him. Unbelievable. All glory to God. All glory to God. Sure. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, really, to do that on national TV? But they just won the Super Bowl. What do you think was happening in the Patriots locker room? See, God doesn't just call us to glorify him and give him all the credit when when everything's going great. We're to glorify him and say, I trust him even when things don't go so great. When things go wrong, we're to trust him and say, God, you still deserve the glory. And The reason why, the reason why we say that is because that last line says, forever and ever. That's the promise that we have. And no no matter what is happening in our lives, day to day, we always remember forever and ever. And you know, it's tough for us as time-bound creatures to think about eternity, but this is the promise of Jesus, that we will live forever, and we can give God the glory for that regardless of what's going on in our lives. Sometimes our lives feel like this just one storm after another, just one bad thing after another, one unanswered prayer, and we're praying day after day, week after week, and it's just not happening. We're not getting an answer to that prayer. We're waiting and waiting and hoping. Look at uh, some of the people who waited in Scripture. Abraham waited 25 years for his son Isaac. Think about it. Think about Moses. He waited 40 years to get the Israelites through the desert. And they didn't get to go in. He got to see it, but he didn't get to go into the promised land. We think about Joseph who waited 13 years while he was in Egypt to see his family again. Think about Jesus who spent 30 years preparing, growing up to prepare to do the ministry that he was called to do. So if you're waiting, you're in good company. If you're waiting on something right now, if you prayed for something and you don't don't feel that answer, you're in good company. And Scripture says simply this. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His word, I hope. Not hope as in it may or may not happen. But hope in certain and secure, as Hebrews talks about, that we know what God has already done for us forever and ever. So what do you do in the waiting times? You go back to the cross. You you take your expectations back to the cross. And you look at what God has already done. He's already done it. He's made it happen. And out of evil, he's brought beauty and blessing. And out of tragedy, he's brought us the truth of Christ and what that means for our forever and ever. And even in the middle of what we experience in life, the pain, the difficulty, the waiting in life, we just take that back to Jesus and on the cross, and we say, I know you've already won. You've already done good for us. That can sustain you and strengthen you and give you hope and peace and a new perspective, and and it can remove burdens off your shoulders and give you this feeling of weightlessness a new perspective on the world where you're not mired down by your vision for the future, but you have God's vision for the future that sustains you. Take it back to the cross. Don't let the cross be a one-time event in the rearview mirror of your faith. Go back there regularly because it reminds you of forever and ever and gives you hope and peace for the future. What have you been praying about the past few weeks? What's on your list that won't go away, that doesn't go away, that's unanswered? I want to remind you of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. On the back of your sermon notes card, there's a post-it note. And I'd just like to ask you to, to write down whatever it is that's still on your prayer list that's not getting answered. Just write it down. Don't No names. Fold it up so the sticky part is covered up so it doesn't stick to other things. Write down your prayer request, what, what has not been answered. And I want you to think like this. I want you to think, you know what? God, I'm going to give you this as an offering, and I want you to put it in our offering bag in a moment when we receive our offering. And say in that moment, say in that moment, God, I trust you. And I'm going to put this prayer in this offering bag as an offering take it. I trust you. Build something better, something I can't even imagine. Use this moment to help me understand what really good things you've already accomplished on the cross for me. Would you do that? And our team wants to pray over all of those prayer requests. And we'll do that on Tuesday, but We want you to know. We want you to come back to the cross. We want you to see that cross in the fullness of what Jesus has done. Because what that prayer ends with are the words forever and ever. And then amen, which means let that be so. Let that be so for me. This is what it means to pray that last phrase of the Lord's Prayer.